Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. KCBS Radio, original podcasts. For KCBS Radio, I'm Chris Ancarlo, and this is Bay Current. And for this episode, we start with a call that came into the San Francisco Police Department 49 years ago. It wasn't realized at the time, but this was the beginning of a murderous streak targeting gay men in the mid-70s by a killer known as the Doodler, starting with... Gerald Earl Cavanaugh. Um, He was about a 50-year-old mattress factory worker who was found uh, brutally stabbed and nearly washed out to sea on Ocean Beach. Um, His body was actually uh, reported by someone who called in around 1.30. Kate Zliznak is the author of the San Francisco Doodler Murders, just one of the people keeping track of every development in this case. There were a string of six men murdered between 1974 and 1975. They were all uh, either hourly gay or um, closeted, probably. Developments mined out by an SFPD investigator. Hello. Hi, Dan. This is Chris Ancarlo with KCBS. Hey, Chris. Hey, good, good. Sorry about Dan that. Dan Cunningham is that investigator. So I'm a, I'm a retired inspector sergeant in the San Francisco Police Department. I'm working in an investigator capacity in the Gold Case Unit. I've been working this case since the end of December 2017. It's an open case. It's a several homicides, and it's active. We are still focusing on an individual from um, 1976 that the original inspectors, Lieutenant Guilford and uh, Earl Sanders, focused on. The killer followed a pattern for about two years before the murder stopped. They were found in remote locations, stabbed viciously, and all indications point to them being in those those locations because they were, they either met someone at a a bar in Castro or met someone who was... um, on the beaches or in the parks where they were found because there is a time gap between where they were last seen in the Castro and where their bodies were found. And central to this case is the nickname, the Doodler, a title that actually is a bit of a misnomer. Now, the sketch is, it's an interesting part of the story. This is why he's called the Doodler, right? The mythology is that all of these victims, he drew portraits of all of these victims prior to murdering them. Uh, at various bars, locations in the Castro mainly. And that was sort of his lore, um, which when it pans out, that is all rooted in uh, one of the three survivors that he left behind. I think that that's uh, one of the myths is that this guy was, you know, dropping 
sketches of these guys after he murdered them. And um, I have no documentation of that at all. It just didn't seem reasonable that uh, after maybe the second murder that uh, there's going to be a guy over in the corner drawing and, you know, we're not going to take notice of that. No drawings have ever been recovered. Uh, there's not nearly enough evidence to show that he even used that lore necessarily with all of his victims. And again, some of these victims might have been met closer to where they were actually killed. Yeah, that mythology was amplified in the media, and the name sticks 49 years later. But from the survivor account that spawned the Doodler persona, we also get a look at the killer. There was two people that were attacked in a period of uh, two weeks on the same floor of the Fox Plaza apartments the month after the last killing at Land's End. And um, one of them uh, provided the, the sketch. He, was, he actually had a history of uh, education was in, in of art. And he was able to recognize this person as being uh, quite an, an, a good artist. He had some expertise of what he was doing. He was drawing animal figures at an all-night diner. So the description that they've given is, at the time, a, a 19 to between 21 to 25-year-old black male, um, around between 5'10 and 6'1", uh, very pronounced brow ridge, and who uh, was wearing a navy watch cap. Navy, not the color. Navy meeting the branch of the military. SFPD's actually released an age progression sketch showing what the killer might look like today. So now he would be in his early, mid-60s. Uh, they do have a person of interest that is that age, that lives in the East Bay, that, you know, fits a lot of uh, points that they're looking at in a, in a potential suspect. Is there a person of interest? There is a person of interest. It's the original person that they considered back in 1976 to be a, a very good suspect. This individual is uh, still alive. He's living in the barrier, and I think I'll just leave it at that. The biggest development that they had was really in 2019 when they announced that they had DNA um, and that they had sent that DNA to their crime lab. As far as the uh, status of the investigation, I understand that there is some DNA evidence. There is some DNA evidence. We tested um, uh, a lot of the um, DNA we found, though, unfortunately, because of the crime scene, it was the victim's. Um, there's been tests done for secondary DNA as of yet. We have not been able to identify any secondary DNA. And there's some other items uh, lately that we've re retrieved and found. And um, we're in the process of uh, testing those. So this case is cold, but it's not ice cold. There are clues and hints, even a person of interest. And investigators are trying to dredge up more solid evidence, but they need help. I'm just, uh, it's a matter of having somebody coming forward, possibly. There was, there was a woman that called twice in uh, 1975 after the original sketch came out, and she gave a name of a suspect and called back a second time with the same name, an address for him, as well as a license plate. And uh, there was a person, apparently, which I don't have documentation for, that um, said they were a secretary at a psychiatrist's office and that the person had done these murders, had admitted to it, and a follow-up phone call by another person who identified himself as a psychiatrist and, in fact, corroborated what the woman had said about a person had come into his office and had admitted to these, these homicides. Um, the problem is I don't have that documentation today in, in 2023. I have that information from uh, 
newspaper accounts from inspectors talking to newspaper. I have nothing that can clearly use to go forward on this individual. This is why, again, the reward has been upped as we hit the 49th anniversary of the first murder. It now stands at $250,000. Yeah, I mean, my, my hopes is that from this, this latest um, reward is that this woman that called up twice could contact me. She called up anonymously. It was documented, but she never gave her name. The last bit of information we're going to provide that we'd like your assistance with is that we believe at the time of these homicides, there was a psychiatrist that was possibly treating the person of interest that we had identified back in 1976. We're unable to locate that individual, and all we know is that that psychiatrist likely worked in the East Bay and possibly had the last name of Priest. And she called twice, and I would love to talk to her as well as to a, uh, any secretary that may have contacted San Francisco Police. And all I would say to those to those victims who have information and don't want to open this wound, um, you, I don't think that there is any room for judgment. I think there should be nothing but acceptance and support as you go through that process, you know, and there will be, there, there will be love for you to come out and, and tell your story so that you can give closure, not only to other, you know, families of, of these victims, but to yourself, you know, I think that that's a huge part of closure for victims of violent crime is to see the perpetrator punished. That's the thing about this case. There may be other survivors who didn't, who couldn't speak out nearly five decades ago. It was just last year that we learned of a sixth person who had been killed by the doodler. The killer preyed on a population already under assault. Being gay in the 1970s was very different, even in San Francisco. And it's possible the killer intentionally used the protective shroud of secrecy held by the gay community as cover for his violence. Do you think that there are any other victims who have yet to step forward? Yes, there was talk back in the day in regards to a, um, a celebrity of some sorts that was attacked by the dealer, but would never come forward because of the fact they didn't want to be outed. I've never identified that person. There's been rumors of who it was, and I've eliminated some of the, the uh, people that uh, were the names that were brought up. So I believe that there's other, other incidents as well, potentially, where people survived. This case is going to be solved. I feel very, very, very confident that this case is going to be solved because it's just a matter of either sending the DNA out to the right lab and getting a, a private profile, something like a SNP or an SMP profile, which is different than what law enforcement does in their crime lab, um, or someone coming forward, you know, it's just, which is very hard. I especially, you know, I write in my book about my sincere and deep empathy for survivors who did not want to come forward because at that time it really was losing every, your life. You've been traumatized to such an extreme degree to then go on and lose your family, lose your job, lose, I mean, everything else is just kind of an unfathomable to, to me, um, I think to really almost anyone. So here we are, 49 years later, and police may be just one eyewitness account or a piece of hard evidence away from closing a violent chapter of history in San Francisco. This case has picked up momentum, but the clock is running. I mean, I think that once, since 2017 and 2017, the beginning of 2018, 
I think we've come a long way in regards to um, if you look at a football field, moving the ball up the field, I think the ball's moved, they moved up the field quite a bit. That knock at the door is coming. It's just a matter of time. And time is limited in this case because this man is, you know, in his mid 60s. So any type of significant punishment, you know, the time would be now to make that happen. My thanks to Kate Sliznock. Her book is The San Francisco Doodler Murders. And to SFPD Inspector Sergeant Dan Cunningham, he's actually retired and working cold cases part-time now. And thank you for listening to this episode of Bay Current. We have the sketches of the suspect on our website. Maybe you're the break this case needs. Bay Current is a production of KCBS Radio. This episode was co-produced by Mallory Samara. For more Bay Area stories, please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Thanks again. I'm Chris Ancarlo. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 